Jesse, open your mouth. Spread your legs. Clear. You already know what it is, Dog in the Yard, Grand Finale. It's your boy Pistol, third season. Today we got a good friend of mine, Steela Bell. Uh, Steela Bell, man, is my brother, man. You know, one of those brothers that believe in a convict that wasn't afraid to take chances and deal with an ex-convict, with someone that has a name, reputation in the street, and all that. He's one of those guys that take chances with brothers like that. Um, Steve is a very, you know, special brother, man, and um, he has a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom that he's going to bring to the table. And, um, like, these episodes are super, super exclusive, man. Trust me. I And I always save the best for last. And that's what I'm giving y'all. And with that being said, this is a two-part episode. This is the first episode. You know what I'm saying? Next Monday, you'll get the second one. And with that, we're going to end the season. You know what I'm saying? And you know I had to give you the best. And the best, you already know what it is. Your boy, Pistol Pete. Dog in the yard. My brother, Steve LaBelle. Let's get right to it, man. Steve LaBelle on deck. you in that Tampa Bay area, make sure you reach out to my boy Gus Torres, man. If you want anything that has to do with real estate, man, make sure you hit him up. You get the lowest prices and the finest houses, man. Trust me when I tell you. But don't forget to mention my name. You already know that Pistol Peter get you that early discount. And that's my brother, man, Gus Torres. You already know, out in the Tampa Bay area. Make sure you hit him up, man. Sell, buy, invest, all that. Make sure you hit him up, man, because he focused with that out there. Tampa Bay, you already know, it's your boy Pistol, man. Get at me. You already know what it is, your boy Pistol Pete. It's that dog in the yard, it's that yard talk. And today I got my brother, Steve LaBelle, in the building. Yeah! AKA the Iceman. Don't get it fucked up. We working around this bitch. What's up, Steve? I'm blessed, man. How are you doing? I'm good, my brother, man. Last executive producer of Dog in the Yard. Facts. Uh, uh, what's up, Steve? Chilling. Welcome to the West Coast. West, thank you, brother. I appreciate it, man. But uh, you know we from New York. You know? you know, I had to come. I had to come get Steve. You know, we usually do. You know, um, a lot of jail guys, and you know, and 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 uh, you know, a lot of guys that be, you know, did a lot of time in prison and all that. But with this one, it's like you know, Steve never did no real time, but he's been through a situation where he's been jammed up and been caught up, and also he deals with a lot of. Jail guys, a lot of gangster guys from all over the world. So it's like, we had to get this. It's important to get Steve on this, you know? So with that being said, I want to start it off. I appreciate that, though. You know, a lot of what you're saying is the truth. Yeah, so um, I just want to, um, for those that don't know you, those that never heard of you in, in your job scripture, you know, I mean, I, I, could, I could say a whole bunch. Like, for instance, Steve LaBelle that put me in the position that I'm in, period. Steve is the one that helped me out, period. 
that I came home, period. Always held me down, period. Been my friend, loyal to death, period. But all that be said, now we could go into Steve. Yeah, you know, my name's Steve Lobel. Um, the plug, the access, the connect, um, the middleman. Um, at the end of the day, I'm from Queens, New York. I never forget where I come from. And everybody out there should never forget where they come from because where you come from is what made you who you are today. <clears throat> you know, I had some mentors in my life. One was my father and one is Russell Simmons. Mm. Um, I grew up in Queens, middle class. My dad worked four jobs. My mom didn't have to work. Uh, my dad always told me if I wanted anything in life, I need to go work for it. So at the early age, nine years old, I got started delivering newspapers. But we're from in New York. We have winter, so you could shovel snow. I would shovel snow. I'd make money. I would rake leaves. I would low more, you know, mow the lawn. <clears throat> I would bust tables. Anything to make money legally, because you know I wanted those fresh pair of shell toes. I wanted that BMX bicycle. Mm-hmm. I got older. I wanted that YZ125. Mm-hmm. I wanted that 79 Cadillac Baritz. True. I wanted that 77 Colors with T-tops. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted the member-only jacket. I wanted the Adidas tracks. I wanted things. So my dad's like, you got to go work for it. Mm-hmm. So either you're going to work for it, and that's the only way you're going to do it. Most people who are brought up work for it, but go take it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go take nothing. I wanted to work for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so uh, uh, your upbringing, you always had your moms, your dad. You know, go home and stuff like that. Um, um, when you start getting into you like you know um, in the music game, you know, or me and you know guys that's been in the music game. When, when all that start happening, and you know, when all as far as you know, your whole transition from you know, get, you know, little kid and delivering um, newspapers and all that. Once you start getting to a certain age, coming out the house, you know. Like, well, you know, because of you, I'll just tell things I've never told before. You know, I grew up. I had a brother. He passed away at an early, early age from an overdose. Oh, man. Sorry. Um, my sister's still alive. Thank you. <clears throat> my mom passed years ago, which you were there. Um, you wanted to beat up the doctor, you know? That's how it really was. It's the peace, mom. Yeah, we had seven doctors telling us different stories. But, um, you know, when I was 13 years old. I, I was uh, at my BMX bicycle, and I'm walking with one of my friends and a girl, and we're on, like, a block away from my house. And it was, like, early evening. And this unmarked cars pulled us over, like pulled up on us and stopped me and put me in handcuffs. I was 13 years old. And he put me in handcuffs. I'm like, what's going on here? Like, you're being arrested. Never been arrested before, right? I'm like, wow. For what? They said armed robbery. So like, I'm like, what the armed robbery? Only me, not the people I was with. I was literally a block from my house. First time, like, in handcuffs, I wound up in Spofford, in the Bronx. I don't even think I've ever even been to the Bronx, you know, at that age. You know, I I remember going to, like, downtown Manhattan and see the bums washing the car. And I would, mommy, daddy, uh," I would be scared of the bums washing the cars. You remember? At the Bowery. So I might have went to a Yankee game back then. And that might have been the only time I was in the Bronx. But I'm in the Bronx, in Spofford. I'm on a, I'm in the precinct. In Queens, the 107th precinct. Then they taken me to Central Booking, Queens House. And then I'm on a bus to Spofford. But all this when you was 13 years 13 old. 13 years old. So now I'm in Spofford. And I'm like, naive. I'm like, we can turn the air conditioner on? They're like, there's no air conditioning. Can I have some cheesecake? Because I like sugar. No cheesecake here. So I was like, wow. So in my mind, I'm like, this is serious. 
Yeah. And my freedom is gone, but I'm still young. I was just bar mitzvah. In the Jewish religion, because I'm Jewish, when you become a man is when you bar mitzvah. So I was just bar mitzvah. So I went to court the next day, and I got out. And I don't know if, if it was bail or not. And I just found a tweet. Someone said, oh, Steve, should let them know when you, you, know, you, you, you rob someone's bike. So the whole time, I really didn't know who it was. They said armed robbery. Right. So I get out. <clears throat> Again, it might have been bail, probably ROR maybe, you know, but I, I went through the spot for it. I was there for a while, come out. And I'm a disgrace to my family. Not to my mother and my father, but other people in my family. Right. My dad's brother is a big entertainment, I mean, a big real estate lawyer in New York. So he kind of disowned us. My grandma, everybody was disowning me because like, oh, it's embarrassing. Your son got arrested. Right. My God, I got arrested for something I didn't do. Mm. So my dad's brother got me a lawyer. And I must have been going back in court for about a year. Back and forth to court. And I remember always this, the back of my day, I put on... Back then, I didn't know that they would become so big, these shoes, like the Wu-Tang did, but I would put on, you know, those clocks. Remember the clocks? Yeah. And I would always put on a button-down and a tie to go to court. And I never really wore suit and tie except when I was by mitzvah. Where I come from, we only wear suits. A court case, a wedding, a bar mitzvah, or a funeral. So I'm going to court, and it's like, it's very, it's very, um, takes a lot of your energy, man. My mom's taking me to court. I'm sitting in court. I'm like, damn, I don't know what's going to happen to him. 13 years old, I ain't going to lie. I'm fucking nervous. Court. Armed robbery. Going back, going back, going back. And like, I'm like, I didn't do this. So I'm not going to take any time because I know I did not do this. And I didn't even know what the fuck they were talking about. So what I did was I said, let's take it to trial. I had a lawyer. We were paying the lawyer. It was my dad's brother's friend who was a criminal lawyer paying him. Plus a lot of money. And I feel bad for people who can't afford a lawyer. So it went on for about a year and a half, man. It's like you got to miss school to go to court. And it was just ongoing, man. It's like embarrassing. Yeah. So I went to trial. And the kid's sitting on the trial, or sitting on the thing. And they say, is anybody here that you see? And they said, they said, did that individual do that? And the kid sat there and said, no. I said, well, why'd you say he did it? My father said, my father told me to say he did it. Wow. I was like, holy shit. <sighs> and I went back in my mind. I'm like, where did I know this kid from? So I remember riding my bicycle that day with a bunch of people. And we rode a bike. And we passed that kid on the bike. Down there, like, Long Island Expressway. I guess later on, maybe someone made have robbed his bike. With either a gun or a knife. So that was the best feeling of my life, man. That was a fucking relief. Holy shit. And I told everybody in my family, not my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my brother was still alive. I told my family, I told you I didn't do this. Yeah, hell yeah. And, you know, I didn't grow up where my other cousins grew up. They grew up in Long Island, Craig Neck and stuff like that. I grew up in Queens. Everybody looked at me funny ever since. But I always said I didn't do it. So I said, okay, this is false arrest, right? This is false arrest. And um, I sued the city of New York. False arrest. That was pretty smart. Yeah. Because I got arrested for something I didn't do. What, what was the outcome? You know. Char? Oh, yeah? Yeah. False arrest. Yeah, that was... You know how many people are locked up in jail right now? That was really smart, those that days. That are false arrested? Oh, me? You know I went to jail, jail for fucking... I didn't tell yeah. to do. 
you know, and that's a whole nother thing because I, I watch your podcast a lot and me being executive producer, like we don't really talk to you and interview yet, but you know, we'll do that another time. But you've been to jail for false arrest. There's people in jail right now who are incarcerated for things they didn't do. Rest in peace to my man Chuck. You know, he was locked up for something he didn't do back in the days. And he was on Rikers Island. And they're like, yeah, you know, yeah, whatever, Shamik, because he was named Shamik Ron Ron Chuck from Queens. And they were like, he was like, yo, I didn't do that, murder. I'm like, yeah, whatever. They just treat him like an average person. Two years. He wound up beating that case. Mm. His cousin that did it, they looked alike. Mm. His cousin got like 20. He sued the city of New York for like $3 million and won. But then he got caught up in other things and then he rested solely, killed himself. Yeah. But I'm just saying to you, a lot of people arrested for false arrests. So yeah. I was like, you know what? Well, I'm a sued in the city of New York. So after overcoming that at 13 years old, I mean, how that, did that, that, that affected you or, you or you moved on and left it alone and you kept- No, it affected me. It fucked me up. Because, yeah, so you know, it, it, it fucked me up, man, for a while because- I look like a bum or a loser to some of my family members when I was telling them that. Yeah, especially they acted funny. And, and it mentally fucked me up. It was embarrassing. Um, but I, but I, one thing I learned about it is freedom is priceless, man. Mm-hmm. I wanted that cheesecake. I needed that air conditioner. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I never heard someone tell me no. Mm. I was never in handcuffs. I've never been on a bus to Spofford. Never really been to the Bronx, you know? How was that feeling doing the bus, you know, without, for, for, for something that you didn't know? You don't even basically know what the hell happened. How was that experience? Nervous. I'm mean, keeping it real with you. I was nervous. And there was some people on the bus with me. Not many. Um, but, you know, you're nervous, hey, Steve, I'm going to tell you something. If a person sits there and tells me that, oh, no, I'm, I went to jail my first time and I was in the bus going over Rikers Island and I was like, I can't wait to get this. I can cut somebody and I'm tough. Nah. Bro, I went to Rikers Island with you. I went to Rikers, I went to Rikers Island never as a as a person, but I went there on visits. I went to visit my man Mustafa. Uh, I think he was in C seventy six back then. I went to visit my man Patty. So you went. So you went from at thirteen. You finally got that case over. It affected you crazily. What happened from that? From that point on, you you, you set your mind. You're never going back to jail because you never. You, right. you said. You want your honey buns, you know, you want your shit. I want my cheesecake, I want cheese. the air conditioning, you know? Exactly. So so, so from there, you know, I, I, I'm 14 years old by now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get a job as a busboy in a restaurant mm-hmm. down the block from my house. And at that time, I was going to, you know, uh, junior high school. So in junior high school, and where I grew up is I grew up with Spanish people, black people, white people, Jewish, Italian, Puerto Rican, Cuban, Colombian, black. So I, I grew up with a lot of type of people. My mom let everybody in the house. So I'm like 15 years old. I'm working in this uh, restaurant as a busboy. And I'm making like good money. Mm. So I'm like, yo, I'm not going to do nothing fucking illegal because I don't want to go to jail. I bust tables, man. And at that age, as a busboy, you can make yourself $150 a night. I always told the guy I'm going to buy this bar, restaurant from him. He laughed at me. So I just wait. Then I went from a busboy to a waiter. Now, I was going to school. I couldn't sit in school, and I always wondered why, right? But I didn't understand why I couldn't sit in school until I got to high school. I went to Jamaica High School. Mm. Jamaica High School is off Hillside Avenue. And I went to school with five percenters. I went to school with white people, black people, all types of stuff, right? But, you know, people. But every morning I have a sun-kissed orange soda and a Snickers bar. Mm. And that sugar, second period, kicked in. I was banging off the walls. I couldn't sit in school, so I would leave school. And the, and the on dean, your own? Huh? On your own? Just, just leave. Uh, sugar had me bouncing all over the place. But as I got older, I realized like sugar's addiction. 
That's why children shouldn't drink sugar at a young age because it's bad for you, even though I'm addicted to sugar. So the, the dean would always call my father. Mm. And my father was working so many jobs, like, yo, can't deal with this, right? He would try to hit me with the belt, this, that. I just couldn't sit in school. So I was just like, during the day, I'd just fucking hang out, be a bum, mm. just hang out. I'm like, yo, this is ridiculous. I gotta make money. I gotta use that mentality, right? And I'm not, I never graduated from high school. I got GED. I'm self-made, I'm self-taught. I just couldn't sit. My mom got me a tutor, five o'clock at night. Everybody's outside playing, beautiful out. I want to be outside hanging out. So the tutor was a waste of money. So I became a waiter after the busboy, and I was making more money. Stacked my money, stacked my money, stacked my money, stacked my money. Crazy thing is, we're sitting in my treatment center, my partner in the treatment center. I used to work in his father's restaurant as a waiter with him. Mm-hmm. We made a couple thousand dollars on the weekends. So after that, started getting, I think I was around 22 years old. I'm just gonna speed up a little bit because I was yeah, just yeah. work in the restaurants. Waiter, I mean busboy, waiter, busboy, waiter. Now you're 22. Yeah, but at the same time, when I'm 18, 19, I'm growing up with Run DMC. Oh, you met them? Grew up in the neighborhood. So I grew up with Run DMC and they would take me on tour. And I would see different things and I'd be here and I'd be there. I'd be at Def Jam Records, Profile Records, Rush Management. But what's the job? Either, you know, you're a hang around, you're a roadie, you're a leech. You know, you know a lot of rappers. They just got a lot of people around them just hang out. Of course. And I'm just hanging out. But I'm like, this is kind of cool. I'm in a studio. I'm on tour. I'm at parties. Back then, the Def Jam parties were amazing. Like, how am I going to make money, though? I'm used to getting my own money. So, kept waiting tables, busting tables. To the point, I got my own bar, restaurant. I went back to the same place I worked at and bought it. What you told him before? I bought it. It was called Frankie and Johnny's. Anybody from Queens back then knows the place on Union Turnpike near St. John's University. Run DNC would come. Onyx would come. Pepper Johnson would come. Chris Muller would come. Mark Jackson would come. And I opened another bar a few blocks down. It was just a bar. I had a bar restaurant. Craig Nettles was there from the Yankees. Uh, it was named after Frank Fowler and John Franco, who are baseball players, pitchers for the Mets. Okay. So the crazy thing, now I'm in that business, but I got... Artists, ballplayers coming to my bar and stuff. It's amazing. At that time, a lot of dudes that I know going in and out of jail. I let this one do security, this one do this, this one do that. And, and I'm going to go all over the place, but we'll bring it back in. I had a bartender. His name was Ed Frank. You might have met him at Koch. Mm-hmm. He would want to work for me on the weekends because he wanted to get all the sorority sisters. Mm-hmm. He's a bartender, you know, but during the week, where'd he work? Relativity. He would do record sales. So Onyx and Jam Master J, rest in peace, they wanted to find another Marky Mark. So they used my bar as a casting. They had all the white boys come from St. John's. And then he found one, he made a record. And Frank's like, hey, I got a friend over, I work at Relativity Records. You need to come see Alan Grumblad. So me, they said, you want to come, Steve? He's working for me. I went there with Jam Master J, Onyx, I met Alan Grumblad. And then I got involved with so many other artists. We can go back to that. Wow. Okay. So, 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 so now at 18, 19, but where you met, who, who you met from Run DMC? Like how that really come about? Run D, Jam Master J, rest in peace. Jam Master J's brother, and a lot of the crew. From the same neighborhood? Same neighborhood, five, 10 minutes away. Okay. And he embraced me. Yeah, that's what he I'm saying. He loved me, he had respect for me. And then, you know, Run DMC, Jay, they used to keep their equipment in my dad's garage. 
Okay. I would go on the road with them. Back then, we would rent vans and go on the road from Fantastic. In fact, Joe used to do the same thing. Anybody in the rap game from back then knows a place in Massapequa, Long Island, rap vans. Let me go back to this now. So before I'm getting to open that bar, though, I got an addiction. And I'm addicted to stealing. It was a high. So me and two other guys I grew up with, we would go out to Long Island. And we would go to the malls. And back then, they had these things on the clothes. You know, like those little safety things that yeah, used to yeah, go yeah. beep. Yeah, a little metal thing or something. It yeah. wasn't metal. It was plastic back then. And we'd pop them off with a key. We'd put them in shopping bags. I mean, you know. Yeah, shopping bags. Put the clothes in shopping bags. From the stores in the malls. Mm-hmm. Not like a garbage bag, but shopping bag. And we would just rob the store by popping those things off. It was an addiction. And every Sunday, we would go to Long Island. Roosevelt Field to the flea market. Be a table here, and the, the vendors on the other side. We talking and push the stuff off, push it into the bag. Then we go to a big department store, do the same thing. Okay. It was an addiction. It wasn't like we needed the money. We weren't selling the clothes. We were just doing it. Right. I mean, one day when the Massapequa Mall come out, we were my man's like '79 Dodge Dart. We're trying to start the car. He's driving, car won't stop. What the fuck? All of a sudden, Nassau County PD, all surround us, horses, everything. I'm in Nassau County Jail. Mm. Just like that? Arrested. For what? Bur- whatever, whatever the charge was, it wasn't burglary, it was like robbery, you know, just stealing from the department store. Yeah, it's, um, um, when you from the, um, we all rested. Yeah, yeah, you got y'all. Yeah. Is that shoplifting? shoplifting? So we in Nassau County Jail, three of us, get arrested during the day, on a Sunday. So we got to wait till Monday. So you have the whole weekend? No, the weekend. Sunday to Monday. So I'm sitting in Nassau County, right? Mm. And now I'm older. You know, I'm older. I'm over 18 years old. And uh, we go into a cell with men. What like, fuck? How ironic was, and we'll get to this, Patty Proctor, Patty Irish, anybody been up north in the New York State jail cells or jail system, Patty Proctor's, I wouldn't say he's a legend, he's my friend, but he's legendary because he escaped from Rikers Island, escaped from up north. He's been in a box for 25 years. Mm-hmm. He happened to be in that, the holding cell. I didn't know him then. We talked about this years later, we'll get to that. So I'm in this holding cell. Dudes are like, yo, you know, get off the bench. You, know, you got to pee and shit in front of everybody. We're in the holding cell. Yeah, you're in the bullpens. Bullpen, holding cell, whatever. I'm like, damn. I just try to sleep. Thank God I'm praying the whole night. No one fuck with me. No one fuck with me. I mean, they were black, Spanish, white. No one fuck with me. No one fuck with me. And I got more other guys with me. But, you know, that was the first time they ever been locked up. Mm. Now, I remember when I went to Spofford, I was in my own cell. Yeah. So now I'm in a holding tank. Mm. And again, you know, went to court the next day, got out. ROR. Okay. But I felt bad for the guys who didn't get ROR or bail. They went right back. Who knows what happened to them? Mm. Patty went back. I never seen him again. Get it? So fought that for a while. And I think, uh, you know, we pleaded for something and then we wouldn't have a record. Right. You know, and then that was that. 
Yeah, they expunge the record after you don't get a job yeah. for a certain yeah. amount of time. Yeah, it was we we we, need, we were over for night. Right? Yeah, yeah. After we fought it for a couple times, and then you're like, oh, you never been arrested before. Yeah, it goes away. It's never when I got arrested when I was 13. It wasn't like I was charged because that case got dismissed. Yeah, it got dismissed. Like, ah, it's good kid, blah blah. Done. But again, I, that was my first time now in a holding. Yeah, a weekend. Like, Sunday to Monday. Yeah, that's a little and weekend. I, and I'm still like, I mean, there were other men now. I don't know. So it was an experience I never dealt with. Absolutely. So. Dealt with that and got out the next day, and that case got dissolved. So, this, so, so after that, what, 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 what transpired? You know, what you told yourself? I mean, you started continue stealing, or no, no, it, it wasn't. It's like we we were stealing for the wrong reasons. It was like a high. Yeah, like a high. Just, just get it. Let's just go over and get it done. It was just weird. And then you know, I was on, and I just kept going, and I opened up the restaurants, and you know, blah blah blah. Now, I got my restaurants called Frankie and Johnny's. They, and back then, there was gangs, white gangs. TMR, KAC, Bill Maher, Flushing, all that. And then Run DMC would come, and do some Hollis Queens would come, and even Bimmy would come. And I'd have black, white, Spanish in my bars. So it was very good business. My partner, I grew up with on my block, Italian kid, IQ, graduated from St. John's, would watch Jeopardy, answer every question. It was a cokehead because he loved Southern Comfort. He would leave to go Southside Jamaica and sit in the after hours for four days, do coke, just to stay up with Southern Comfort. My man Abdullah, rest in peace, he had just came home from up north. He's Afro-American. He worked for me security. He's like, bro, why are you so stressed out? I'm like, man, my partner, he would come. Harass the bartenders, throw shot glasses, keep them till six in the morning when I would leave at 10 because I was running the restaurant part. And he would just keep the bar open so he could drink, 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 and then go to after hours. We had video games, kick them down, try to break into them, take all the money. So it was like he would come back after three days, I'm sorry. It was a routine every other week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is my hard earned money that I put in these places. He got the money because his father passed away from in an elevator shaft. And he, they sued and made a lot of money. So he didn't appreciate the money. I never had a drug problem, never did drugs. It went on for a while. I'm like, man, I, I didn't sign up for this. It was really stressful. Put him in the back alley, took a 357 to his head, and pulled the trigger. Thank God there was no, that bullet didn't stop that. Mm. At that point, I was like, you know what, I'm selling everything. So you sell it, so you sold it. I gotta get out of this business. Yes. It's the wrong partnership. That's why you have to watch who you're getting the partners with. Mm-hmm. My man Abdullah, rest in peace, Cock Diesel, known up north, known in Hollis, Queens. He was doing security for me. He loved me so much because I gave him an opportunity. He's like, damn, like this is not good for you. But I didn't stop the business because I had Joker Pokers in there, doing things. There's so much money was being made in one of my places. Smaller place, the bigger place, the rent was so much. One's feeding the other. Mm. I get run DMC to perform. At that time, I had a 1988 M3, diamond black, stick, BBS rims. Remember those? Yeah. Oh, I thought I was the man. That was a shit, though. Oh, that. man. You know, I had a 77 color Supreme. <laughs> I had a, I had a Eldorado Blue Barrett with the stainless steel top and the True Vogue's. Now I got an 88 M3. And my bar was down the block of my house. I kept the 88. I used to drive to work. My mother's like, walk. I'm like, nah, my shit got to be right in the front. 
And I would always get parking tickets because I wouldn't feed the meter. I just needed that car in the front. I needed to be like, damn, I finally feel successful. I got a BMW. Mm. Cadillac, Oldsmobile Colors is not like successful in my mind. Sat in the front. I have allergies in the summer. It's, you know, like, like I'm sniffing coke, you think. If you don't know me, I'm always twitching and stuff. Run DMC's performing that night. I jump in a BMW to make a run. I get pulled over by DTEX. You know what DTEX are? Undercovers, DTEX. They pull me over like, license, registration, insurance, motherfucker. Now, I'm known in my neighborhood. They all know me. I have the bars there. They send undercover cops in to see if we're checking ID. We have DJs. You know, we got the Afro-Americans there, the Spanish. Neighbor don't like certain things like that. So I'm the guy in the neighborhood, like, how's this young guy got all this stuff? Work hard. So I said, don't talk to me like that. I pay taxes. Don't talk to me like that. Nah, shut the fuck up. And they said, yeah, you're fucking coked up anyway. I'm like, man, fuck you. Suck my dick. I'm in cuffs. I go to Queen's house. No, I go to 107 first. 107 precinct. That's, that's our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. 107 precinct. I'm like, yo, fuck. Fuck my holes. I mean, a, 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 a cell in the precinct. Yeah. That precinct, I don't think stand no more. Maybe it's, it moved. Fuck you. I told you to suck. Well, you shouldn't be talking like that, right? So I'm just, in my mind, like, I'm a business owner in my own business. So, um, and we don't want the niggas performing at your place tonight. I said, excuse me? We don't want the niggers performing in your place tonight. And Run DMC is going to perform tonight. Man, fuck you. I want them. They took me to Queen's house. So now I go from 107 to Queen's house. Because mm. Run DMC is my friends. I don't go with racism. I don't like that type of shit. So this is 1992. I got the flyer to prove it. Run DMC was performing at Frankie and Johnny's, all that. You could edit and show that. I'm in the Queen's house. That's crazy. I went to the Queen's house once to go visit my man Mustafa. There's floors. Mm. I never made it to the floors. I'm in that holding cell. I don't know what happened. Some call happened, and they let me out. And Run DMC performed that night, and then same motherfuckers wanted to come in to watch the show, and I said, you know what? The same cops I told you earlier were on, on a job. You know, back in the days in New York, the TNT and the D-Tags, oh, no, it was fucking up. undercovers were fucked up, man. And there was racism and all kinds. Back in the days, of course. To, to see Jam Master Jay's mural, and we get pulled over on Hollis Ave. And we're out the car, and they're searching the car, and they got the trunk, the, the, the front open for the engine, looking for guns. Where's the guns? Where's the guns? What the fuck you talking about? Notice Wishbone. Oh, you Wishbone? Yeah, I'm the manager. I'm da, 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 da. We came to Jam Master Jay's mural. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And we let us go. So back then, you know, the cops, to me, they were very racist, stereotype people. Um, and that's when, I, when all that Black Lives Matter came out. I want to speak on it because I know about police brutality and, you know, pulling over the wrong people because of their color of their skin and this and that. Mm-hmm. And I hung out with a lot of black people back then in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So they would stereotype. And I'd be in the hood in my BMW, only white guy. And they thinking I'm a crackhead or a drug addict coming to buy drugs in the hood right. or sell drugs. Mm. I'd be in South Jamaica, I'd be in Hollis, stuff you like that. Right in the hood. So I got out, run in and see perform that night. I got the pictures of It's the funniest thing. The stage was the size of this room. But they did it for me as a favor. And all the white kids that grew up loving Run DMC, I was God to them. Because I had all the 
rival gangs of the white kids in my shit. Mm. And then when the Run DMC shows over, they went outside, started stabbing each other, fighting and everything. Mm. It's, 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 TMR's a gang right. and KC. Anybody from Queens, white back then, even black, Spanish, they know those gangs. But I was the man because I would have celebrities, basketball players, cool people come. But Run DMC performed that night and I felt good because if I didn't get out, they wouldn't perform that night. So after getting arrested and going through that, the, the changes on me, how long before that, like what transpired in your life, you got rid of the bar? Yeah, so what happened was um, I had the bar, mm-hmm. I had the restaurant bar. I was very stressed out. Even though I was making a lot of money, my partner was a cokehead. Well, he was an alcoholic. Okay. It's crazy because he was sitting in a treatment center. Now I'm in the treatment business, right? He would tell me later on in life, I love Southern Comfort so much that I needed a Coke to stay up for days to keep drinking the Southern Comfort. Wow, he went on and went to like the army and became like a big, big colonel or something because he was very educated. So I sell the bars, but I'm like, yo, I love my community. I love my neighborhood. I want to keep the money in here. So I opened up a, a pastry shop, a cappuccino and a espresso and pastries and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I wound up getting into a car accident. Mm. with Jam Master Jay's man. So I had gotten a car accident. I was a little fucked up. I had no one to run the cafe I had. Opened near a movie theater on Union Turnpike. So I figured, yeah, it's a good business. So I got to the point, I just got rid of everything. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got into the music industry again and went to Relativity. And when I started working at Relativity Records, Alan Grumbler saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He gave me an opportunity to work. And uh, the first thing he said is, I got these Puerto Rican guys, and no one can deal with them. So, <laughs> could you go on the road with them? I said, yeah, no problem. And that's when I met Fat Joe. <clears throat> and I went what year was this? 1993. Okay. Okay. 1993, I'm working at Relativity Sony. I'm taking a train to work every day. It's a different now mind train, because I got my M3. I got my own business, own money. I'm coming from all that. I'm still young. But Jam Master Jay, rest in peace, told me, like, yo, it's a good opportunity. Get in there and look, look for any door that opens. Mm. Remember, I used to be around Def Jam, Rush Management, Profile Records, be around LL Cool J, Public Enemy. Yeah, you already All did. that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, this could be a career move. Mm-hmm. I have no high school graduation, no college education. I just know how to work. And I know how to make shit happen. He's like, hey, man, um, you want to go to the five boroughs and put up posters? It's funny you have these poster boards here, because back in the days we had poster boards. It's called P.O.P. And we go to the stores back in the days. If you remember growing up a kid in the Bronx, mm-hmm. there's independent record stores. You would go buy your cassette or your yeah, vinyl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they had the Wiz and Sam Goody and stuff. These days it's all digital. I get on a train to the Bronx, go to the Wiz. Remember the Wiz? Mm-hmm. So I go to Bronx, Bronx, Staten Island, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Long Island. I have to go to all those stores and take pictures, put up the posters. Mm. I get paid for that. All right. While I was there, I would ask these fucking store owners, hey, any hot artist giving you cassettes and stuff? I started learning myself, like, you know what? Maybe I could find talent. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, Alan's like, hey, you want to do radio promotions? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Got some relationships with some DJs. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't have any fucking relationships, except maybe three. I started calling DJs across the country. Now I'm doing radio promotions. Mm. Next thing you know, I'm doing A&R. Relativity records, I'll give this. M.O.P., B-Nuts, Frankie Cutlass, Fat Joe. Midwest, Bone Thugs and Harmony, 3-6 Mafia, Dayton Family, 
Let's go, oh, common sense, as we know is common. Let's go to the West Coast. Mac Maul from the Bay, Drew Down. So I'm working with all these artists. And then we got Down South. We got 8-Ball and MJG, Mr. Mike Teela, South Circle. But because I went on tour Run DMC, I understood there's different artists in these different cities. New York artists, where we worked and dealt with, like, they don't know because they didn't really travel. So again, they're like, yo, we go to Van Tassel, we're going like, to take Fat Joe on the road. Rest in peace, Full Flex, because you know him. He'd be on the road with us. Raul. Okay. Even you, you had hair. Rated R. Joe. Gee, thanks. And myself. And we would go to Chicago, Cleveland, Detroit, St. Louis, Miami, and we'd do radio and retail promotions. And there was back then, it was college radio and college video stations. And we'd go to radio stations with the vinyl. We'd go to clothing stores, malls, giving out all Joe's stuff. A lot of work. A lot of work. And Joe lived in an apartment in, over the bridge from Queens. We'd push him through the window. He'd always forget his key. And Joe was a worker, man. And went out there and worked. And Pun, I can't forget Pun. Pun was Joe's artist. He was on the road with us. And Pun would always want to use my phone. But how long before, when, when, when you met Joe, though, Pun wasn't around? Yeah. Because Joe was at the label, but when we first went on the road, okay. Joe brought Pun with him. Oh, that's when he brought Pun. Okay. And Pun would always sit near the door in the van mm -hmm. and argue with me to use my phone. But I'm using my phone to call radio and retail yeah. and set up stuff. Call it before we get and there. Pun's like, yo, man, give me the phone. And I was like, one second, we'd argue. I just want to call my wife and kids. That's why when he passed, I was like, why am I saying, you know, the kid loved his kids? He would always argue. I would say, hey, when I'm done here. Remember, he's Joe's artist. Yeah. He wasn't pun, pun. Yeah. And back then was Triple Says and Armageddon. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, just travel all over with Joe. And I introduced Joe to his wife. I introduced Fat Joe to Lorraine. So it used to be who? So I, it was Big Pun. It was Triple Says, Armageddon. Oh, okay. You know. Um, Tone Sunshine. Tone Sunshine wasn't there. Then. Oh, he came a little bit oh, after. Yeah, he came later. Raul, yeah. Full Flex. Yeah. And then you weren't there. You came home, and then you were around video shows mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we were out in Florida, and I ran to Lorena. She grew up with me in Queens. I used to let her in my bars. She'll tell you, Steve had bars. And I would let her in the bars. And she was young. And she wanted to come drink Heineken's. I would let her in the bar. So, no guy. Introduced Joe to his wife. And, um, you know. Well, how that happened? We were down in Miami. She was down, I think, for spring break. Oh, yeah, I was I working? No, we were doing working. We were out there fucking promoting and marketing and going to radio stations. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Retail stores and doing shows. Like, Fat Joe grinded. You know, don't mm -hmm. think the big, big show, the Joe Oprah show, yeah. happened overnight. Yeah. We're down in Florida, and uh, he's like, damn, who's that? I just happened to run into somewhere. I'm like, she's off limits. Mm. You told him? I told him she's off limits. And why are you telling that? So was off limits. So then what happened? He didn't listen. <laughs> And now they got Ozzy and they got a beautiful family. God bless you. Yeah, yeah. They, okay, so so you kept working with them and all that. So how long before that you find yourself, did you ever got yourself in trouble, or, you know, moving on from that, from, you know, being on the road with Joe and... Yeah. Um, rest in peace to Tupac Shakur. Rest in peace Fatal Hussein. Gaddafi. And the reason why I say those other names, people don't know, Tupac had a group called The Outlaws. And that's Gaddafi, rest in peace. Fatal Hussein, rest in peace. Napoleon, who's in Saudi Arabia right now. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Napoleon. Yeah, I, he's Muslim. Muslim, yeah. And he's, he owns coffee shops, doing great. Castro, Young Noble, Idi Amin. 
I think Idi Amin's on one of your episodes here. Wow, Idi Amin, yeah. So me and Muta, I call him Muta, but his name is Napoleon. He was the youngest in the outlaws and wild. Every six o'clock, every day, Hennessy and Diet Coke, or maybe Coca-Cola, but Diet Coca-Cola, he would drink, get destroyed, and want to fight, pull out his gun. He was a wild guy. So happy now he's clean and changed his life. We, uh, we had permits for licensed, licensed guns. People don't understand that, but I'm licensed and the outlaws are licensed. Right. When Pac died, they're out here in L.A. They had guns. They're licensed. They were smart, bro. We went to Vegas. We had, remember those Lexus convertibles back in the days? Mm-hmm. Like they look like an egg or something? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It was a red with a beige top. So we went to Vegas. And we left one of the guns in the car and drove over state lines. Pac got killed in Vegas. Mm-hmm. So we go to Vegas. We're out there. And it's crazy we're sitting here because my partner Frank in the Heavy Center was there. Mm-hmm. And Frank was wild back then. He's Spanish. We grew up with a lot of white guys who were crazy. He happened to be in Vegas for a bachelor party. How ironically, I run into him at the hotel. The Pyramid Hotel, I won't say the name. Almost like a pyramid. Right. And I'm with Napoleon. The problem is that Lexus, the valet guy, had a pen in his car and wrote on the fucking seat. You know, Pete, if someone did that to your car, you already know what you were doing. Oh, fucking crazy as hell. So he's a high head. He's calling from the outlaws. He flips on the valet guys. Mm-hmm. Frank's there. He's with his white guys. White boys, they're wild. They all jump in. Everybody's flipping on the valet guys. Mm. Valet calls the police and tells the valet that Lexus got a gun in it. We all arrested in Vegas. Even Frank and his crew. There was cameras in Vegas, and this is way back then. It's even worse now. Cameras everywhere. Yeah. So we get arrested in Vegas. I'm like, damn. Deal with that, get out. We fighting that case back and forth from Vegas. Now, if you're in L.A. to Vegas, three hour and a half, four well, hours. I wasn't going to, who got arrested that day? Me, Napoleon, Frank, and all the guys he was with. So all of y'all For the there. gun that was in the car. Y'all, how long y'all sit in, in, in? Overnight. Overnight, okay. okay. So, we get out, we go back to L.A. He knows he's got the permit for the license, but only for California. Right. So we would go back and forth, back and forth to court. A couple months, and then beat that case. And it was gone. Beat that case. So and then from, from, from that point, I mean, did you continue to keep working with the, uh, the outlaws? Yeah, of course. You know, uh, we have very successful things, you know, and then we did a documentary, and we, we put out an album that was very successful. And um, until this day, I'm friends with... Everybody who's still from alive. That point, so from that point, what Steve LaBelle did from that point, you know, I mean, as far as work mowing. Yeah, well, that was the last time I ever went to jail. That was never, the last. Yeah, never been arrested for nothing else after that. You know what I mean? And yeah. if you notice, every time I got arrested, it wasn't for really things that, you right. know. And I've been around so many situations that you figured I would have got jammed up or something. You still got jammed up in a lot of, yeah. lot of things because you was around them. Yeah, but I work with so many rappers. Right. And, and I, I deal with a lot of hoodsters and gangsters and street dudes that... You know, I've dealt with so many people that you figured that the duh, you know? Yeah, so through the years, through the years, I mean, was it difficult to stay out of trouble dealing with all these all these 
in the, especially, you know, terror squad and them, the outlaws, guns and... Yeah, I mean, I, I would never cause the trouble. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't the hothead. Mm. I always, like, calmed every situation I've been down. And remember, I've been down with so many different rappers. You know, mm. working with Bone Thugs and Harmony for so many years. You know, I met Eazy-E, and he passed away. And then I started working with Bone Thugs and Harmony and been still working with them for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And some of them been in and out of jail. And, you know, we'd be on the road. Thank God we had no problems with no one, so we didn't need to bring guns. Mm-hmm. We just had fans that loved us, and they would protect us. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so what year did you, you started? Um, you never went back to jail. But what year you started, you met up with Bone Thugs and started working with them, that whole transition from, you know, dealing with the outlaws and them, you know, Bone Thugs. Yeah, well, I, I, I dealt with the outlaws after Bone. Okay. So... Working in Relativity, where I told you was M.O.P., B-Nuts, Fat Joe, Common Sense, 3-6 Mafia, Ruthless Records was distributed there, which is Bone Thugs, Easy's label, the, you know, Drew Downs, the Mac Malls from the Bay. Um, I used to deal with Easy because Ruthless was through Relativity. Relativity was a powerhouse fucking label to Sony. Okay. So I met Easy The night, if you saw the movie Straight Outta Compton, he runs in the cube and they were arguing. I was there that night mm. at the tunnel. That movie doesn't show really a lot of the truth. Right. And some of the Bone members were with me that night. That was the first time I met Bone. Easy had a group, Thuggish Ruggers was blowing up, and he brought them to New York. Mm. I met them, and that night I went to the tunnel. Remember the tunnel? Legendary tunnel. Mm. And only two members of Bone went and went with Easy and his bodyguards. So we left, and Easy wanted to walk back to the hotel. Because, you know, Pop, Lazy Bone, Easy, any real dudes, when they're in New York, they want to walk. They want that energy. Yeah. And it was cold. And we got in a limo and he walked with the security and I never seen him again. We went going back to LA and supposedly got AIDS and passed away. So Bone didn't really know many people right. in the industry. And they just accepted me. They never really dealt with a white guy. And I started working with them. And that's when they, they, they were living in LA. So I moved to LA. Mm. And I was out there doing their solo projects, their albums, their record companies. And it was so big that I had it. Just focus on Bone Thugs and Harmony. Remember, we're getting 300000 a show, doing arenas, doing records of Mariah. Now you lit. I'm not in a van no more. Yeah. I'm not in a car, even though I've done many tours in cars, vans, private jets, planes, all that. And now I'm in L.A. Right. So that's how I get with Bone Thugs, and I'm working with them for so long. And my blindness are just Bone Thugs and whatever they got going on. Everything at the other label. I mean, at the label, all those other artists. I'm still working at the label. They have to, you know, see what that. I'm still dealing with Joe when he needs me. Right. Remember, I'm not his manager. I work for the label. Right, right, right. So then you became Bone Thugs and Harmony manager. Yeah, so I, I personally would sit in meetings, and I didn't like the behind the scenes, how a lot of people at labels would talk about the artist. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that they would go home at 5 o'clock to their big houses, and they wouldn't be in the studio grinding with us. They wouldn't be on the road with us, dodging bullets or cases or this and that. And they were just doing it for a check. And to me, a lot of these record companies, a lot of white people in these labels, they're racist. And they don't really live the culture. Right. And a lot of black people are Uncle Tom's in some of these labels. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what, man? Fuck working for a label. Fuck your steady check. Fuck your expense account. Fuck your 401k. Fuck your health insurance. Because that's what labels do for you. Yeah. And most people don't want to leave a label, Pete, because they want that 
They security. Want, they want security. Yeah. I believe in me and what I could do. So I said, I'm going to be independent, work for myself, and be a manager. And when Maldis makes money, that's when I'll make money. It was a big risk, bro, but I bet on me. But you always bet it on yourself. Well, when I worked at the label, though, because remember, I was working for them. I always bet on myself, yeah. but I had, to, I had to learn the business. Yeah. Now, I'm around Run DMC, but I'm around, but I'm trying to learn. Now I'm in a label, so I'm really learning the politics. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in A&R meetings, marketing meetings, creative meetings, conference calls, shit I didn't do with Run DMC. So I just decided after a while, I want to be a manager. I want to fight the label. Remember, the label's really the enemy if you're the manager. The labels only love, labels only love the artists when they're hot. That's it. And they got shit going on. When you're cold, they're cool. So, and we'll talk about that with Scott Storch's situation. But I was like, I'm going to fight the label. Right. I could tell you to go fuck yourself. I don't work for you. I'm independent. But there's no security. No T&E. No flights paid. None of that. No steady mm-hmm. checks. Sometimes it's good to have that. I roll the dice. And I'm here today because of that. I wanted to fight for the artist because I didn't believe that a lot of these people, these labels really cared about the artist. Right. So from that point on, you just became the manager of Bone Thugs. Yes, I started managing Bone Thugs and Harmony. And, um, you know, doing so many things, man. Made a record with Biggie. Made a record with Pop. You was there for all that. I, made, I was for all that. I made a record How was with that? Mariah Carey. It was amazing, man. You know, Joe called me. Then Puff called me. Said Big was in L.A. Pulled up to the record plant. Did the Bone and Biggie. And Mariah heard it. She called me. Did a record with Mariah. Remember, Bone did a record with Easy, rest in peace. Did a record with Big Pun that we brought Pun to get on Flesh Bones album first, then he got on Crazy Bones album. Tupac. Tupac. And then uh, we won a Grammy, me and Crazy Bone, for Riding Dirty. Who ever think a Grammy would be won from a song called Riding Dirty? I mean, you Riding Dirty. We won a Grammy for that. With these producers that I found playing skills that became big and won a Grammy with Lil Wayne as well. And still big in the Latin world right now. And I do have a partnership with them with a thing called CTM Latin in publishing. We have a studio in Miami. You need to go check it out. Okay. So involved with all that Bone stuff and going on tours with them. And I learned a lot more about the music business because I was Bone's publicist, A&R, manager, road manager, tour manager, security, hype man, everything. So I learned everything just while I was going. And we'd be on tour, seven tour buses. Each Bone had their own bus with 50 of their homies. Like, fuck. How you dealt with that shit, though, Steve? I'm, I'm from Queens, brother. And I dealt with a lot of people That's like That's how you really dealt with yeah. it. Because you already came from Queens, from being from really Queens, with, so different, bro. with brothers and all that. So, you know, going, you know, because it's different. They, they trusted talk. me. And, they, and I, I'm built for it. And I would tell them, yo, shut up, man. You're wrong. Yo, Lay, you drunk. Bro, that verse sounds like shit. And the homie's like, what are you talking about? Yo, and Lay, you come out to me like, I love you, Lil BZ. You're right. Right. I'm not a yes man. I'm not a dick rider. I'm not a wave rider. You should know that by now. Mm-hmm. I'm a man with integrity, principles, and morals. I'm going to tell you the real, if you like it or not. So they respected me, and I've been rocking with them ever since. It's been over 20 years. And you've been through some shit, ups and downs with them, yeah. of course. But with any brotherhood, you mm-hmm. have to go through trials and tribulations and arguments and stuff like that. We argue a lot, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, what? So they're the only, man, the only ones that you manage at that no. point? From, okay, no. So, so from so, that point... I'm glad you caught that, not to cut you off. So I'm working the label. So all yeah. those artists I named before, I work for labels, so I'm dealing with them in different capacity, radio, retail. So now I'm in L.A., I'm rocking with Bone Thugs. I'm like, damn, LA's nice. I love the weather. I'm like, I like the weather. But everybody out here thinks I'm on drugs. Mm. Like, yo, this guy's blah, 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 blah. We New Yorkers. Everybody out here is laid back. Everybody's slow mo. Laid back, good weed, da, da, da. Weed was not legal. 
And um, I'm like, fuck, I'm not going back to L.A. I mean, New York. I stay in L.A. I love it. I start building relationships out here. It's way before any rapper would come out here. I'm out here. I'm living in the hood. I'm thinking this, that. I don't know about gangbanging. I don't know about nothing. I'm just managing bone and dealing with the shit, whatever I need what to do. What year is this? 95. Okay. Right before Crossroads. Okay. Big, big record, right? Rest in peace, easy. Um, so I'm out here. And I'm starting to run into different people. Hmm. So with that watch. What's up with it? We just spoke to one of the guys, you know, on FaceTime, if you reckon. I won't say names. Strong guy out here. But I don't know. He was dressed up, Muslim. So with the watch. What's up? Hmm. Try to break me. Couldn't break me. Like, yo, I, I like your style, bro. Yeah, take my number. We built. Built. Ran to a bunch of people, man. Mm. You know, I'm dealing with the outlaws. I'm dealing with Suge. I'm dealing with this one. I'm dealing with that one. How was that, though? Me and Suge? I mean, would you... I mean, I'll, be, I'll keep it real with you, man. One day... politics I'm, and shit like that. One day I'm in the studio. I said the N-word. One of Suge's homies saw me later on. He said, yo, you need to go to the bank and pay me $15,000. Saying the N-word, I said, you have to kill me. I don't get extorted. That's extortion. Once you give someone $100... It's over. You give someone $500... It's over. I'm not getting extorted, so you're going to kill me. Mm. So he respected me. I'm not a killer. I'm not a gangster, but I'm a man. And you stood up for yourself. I'm shit. a man. Of course. You know, so I have to be a man. Mm. And then, you know... Simon and me, we cool, man. I fuck with Simon. I love Simon, man. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. So, you know, I call him Simon, sure. So, you know, at the end of the day, so I'm around that. I'm around Bloods. I'm around Crips. But I'm not knowing all that gang stuff, man. I'm really yeah, not so in no tune saying, to This that. is all I hear. In fact, we're not in tune to We're that. gangs, especially back in the day. Easy's dead. He was a Crip. Bone Thugs ain't banging. I'm living in L.A. with Bone Thugs. Go to the studio every day. Might go to a club. Might go here. Records come out. We travel in the world. Right. We on buses and we get doing what we do. I'm not even in tune with what's going on in New York no more. I'm not even in tune, really, to be honest with you. One of my biggest regrets, I'm not even in tune with what's going on in, with my family. Because mm. I'm chasing a drug now, success. And I'm chasing seeing the world. I've been to places, Pete, that we, I still got friends in jail and never see the places I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I'm going there for free. Ain't coming home paid. And my flight's paid for, my hotel's paid for, I'm in five-star shit. Some with the artist. And I'm like, man. I would never have been able to see this if I wasn't for Queens. We take a lot of things for granted. So I'm, I'm lose track of home. I'm missing bar mitzvahs. I'm missing weddings. I'm missing this. I'm missing birthdays. I'm missing all that type of stuff. Yeah. And being in the music industry, you neglect your family. And you get caught up in this high drug of being in the studio and all the success and being around these artists and this and that. Now, bone so big makes me big. You get it? My phone's ringing. Everybody want to work with us. And then we step in New York. Everybody like, damn, Bone is here. It's like the Beatles is here. And I got Bone. All New Yorkers, oh, Steve, what up? Remember? And we come to New York. Who holds us down? Not that we have beef with no one. Fat Joe, Pistol P, mm-hmm. family, Terror Squad. Mm-hmm. We don't need people to jump on. Why? Because y'all love Bone for Bone. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and welcome Joe into that world of theirs. Mm-hmm. Joe says it all the time. And, you know, Bone never really had no beef, so we didn't need security and all that stuff. We had security to chase off the girls and the fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had yeah, some yeah. big dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was it. So I'm in L.A. Now I'm out here. And um, start working with Sean Kingston. Start working with Ayers. Start working with artists named Man. Dipsy Hustle. So I'm out here. And I'm managing all of them. Yeah, but what? 
how it came to the point where you forget. Let's forget about Sean Kingston. I mean, you managed, but how it came to the point where you met uh, Nipsey Hussle. Right, but just the Sean Kingston. Me personally, yeah, I seen places of the world I would have never seen with anybody else. I wouldn't know what Estonia was. I would have never been to Beirut, Lebanon, Tel Aviv, Israel. I'm Jewish, right? But I'm not like the most religious or Hasidic Jew. But when you go to Israel, they stamp your passport, you can't go to Lebanon. If you go to Lebanon and get stamps, you can't go to Tel Aviv. I needed to go to both of those places. I made sure that my stamp wasn't there. Because I needed to go to that wailing wall and touch that wall. I never thought if I would ever go back to Israel before. Right. Before you pass, you need to make it to Israel to that wall. Mm-hmm. You touch that wall, you leave a letter, change your life. So Sean Kingston, show me the world. So, so, so now, rocking with Sean, and Sean and me created a company called Time is Money, slash A to Z Entertainment. That's my other company besides we working. We found an artist named Ayaz. You know Ayaz. Mm-hmm. He got a song called Replay. It was number one in the world. So now I'm on another run around the world. I'm like, damn, shit, I didn't think I was going to make it back to Israel, but I'm going everywhere. You're not beautiful Australia is. You're not beautiful Hawaii is. You're not beautiful Prague is. So I'm traveling the world again. So I'm running with him. Sean's, you know, he's on album mode. I just got big records. He slows down. I got an artist named Man. He got a record called Buzzin'. 50 and 50 Cent. Oh, little guy. He got the record with 50 Cent. He says, taught the game by Steve LaBelle. That record blows up. I'm back around the world again, too. I'm like, whoa. I'm stuck in New York. Move up to L.A. to Bone, seeing the country with Bone. And now I'm seeing the world with all these young boys. Right. Like, that's a whole nother high. But I'm forgetting home. You know, mom's passes and this, you know, you forget. You get caught up. So anybody out there watching. You should be caught up. Yeah, you're young. I have balance now. But these young kids out there just know that have some balance. So now I'm in L.A. Still talking, right? We're getting to Nipsey, you saying? Yeah, how, how from doing, working for Kingston and with, with IS and. Go, how, when, when's the first time that you met Kingston? Like, wait, I mean, uh, Nipsey Hussle. So the first time I met Nipsey? <clears throat> or should we say the first time you met Nipsey? Or should we save that now? Yeah. Um, look, I'm in L.A. People are telling me they bloods. People are telling me they crips. All right. No one really banged on me. Not from L.A. A lot of people out here got extorted, bro, from gang members that came out here from... East Coast. Well, rappers, a, lot of, exactly. a lot of the shit that was going on, but you wasn't aware of it. Yeah, rappers, exactly. I didn't know all that stuff, but you know, you hear about things. Right. But, I, but people approached me to try to take my watch. or right. They ain't happening. Kill me. Please kill me. So, again, I hear about certain gangs. So one day, out here is a big radio station like Hot 97 is. Right. Power 106. Right. Big station. Shout out DTE, man. LA Leakers. Felly Fell. I'm at the powerhouse, Summer Jam. You've been to many Summer Jams on the East Coast. I'm on the wall, chilling my foot up. I'm with my man Mustafa. My man Mustafa just came home from up north. Right. He had did a so-called murder. Mm-hmm. But he brought, they brought down to attempted murder. He came home, it was like 10 years. He came out here because Run DMC was getting a handprint. You know, this is like... Different times, right? So I, I have to go back and think. But Run DMC got a handprint. This was before Jam Master J died. So I brought Mustafa out here. And Mu wound up staying out here because I put him in position to do security for Bone Thugs. Right. We had the powerhouse. Boy, I thought Sugar was big. This, this guy's coming towards me. 
white tee, glasses. I'm like, yo, move. I don't know who the fuck this is, bro, but be on point. Comes up to me, he's like, you Steve Lobel? Like, who wants to know? Because I'm Big U from 60s. Hey yo, Steve always told me, man, we don't move a lot unless it's bands. You know what I'm saying? So, man, listen, I know y'all guys enjoying that first part. You know what I'm saying? Second part is super legendary. It's about to get even more. Exclusive, you know what I'm saying? I talk, get more in debt, you know what I'm saying? So, man, listen, man. I just hope that you guys really enjoy that first part, you know what I'm saying? And now we're going to get into that second part, man. You know what I'm saying? So with that being said, let's not forget that merch. You know what I'm saying? Get that merch, man. You got your hoodies, your T-shirts. Summertime coming. I want to see my peoples out there representing that dog in the yard. It's your boy Pistol Pete, that grand finale. You already know, it's your boy, Pistol, dog in the fucking yard. All right, let's make it number one, man. Get at me, steal the bell. Splash. One, two, this is a step. This is how gangsters do it. Splash, step, one, two. I'm in a whole lot of zones. Zones, they look like kaleidoscopes. I got the white for the white boy that's sniffing the shit in these eat on the slopes. I got the can for that lady that thinks she could take it, but know that she can't. I got that work for that work that's gonna work right after it works. Look, I put.